What's up, Oasis family? How are you doing, our online family? Don't you just love Kyle and Macy? Um, this might be longer than 10 or 15 minutes. I'm going to do my best. Um, but when I open my mouth, um, just give yourself 20 minutes in general, even if it's just normal conversation, uh, because um, I do not know how to uh, not talk for a long time. So we're going to figure it out. <laughs> but I'll probably be, what do you think? What do you think? 30 minutes? An hour? How much time do you have? Okay, cool. We'll, we'll, try, we'll try to keep this under 30. And I'm just so grateful for you guys and your generosity. And um, at the beginning of the year, many of you signed up to be a builder. And our vision was rebuilding in strength. And to be honest, it still is. Um, but we've had to make a lot of pivots. When we were talking about our builders and what we wanted our builders to do, we did not know that in 2021, we'd be dealing with Delta variants and more restrictions and more things. We actually thought that things were going to shift a little bit more than they have. So I want to thank you for signing up for that. We're still uh, processing all of that and trying to come up with how we're going to move forward as a church. So if you sign up to be a builder, man, thank you for your patience. We are really thinking and praying about how do we make another pivot going into 2022 as things are like kind of back to normal, but kind of not. No one knows what that is. And so be praying with us and you'll be hearing more about that over the next several weeks. And this is my second week back from a five-week break and I'm happy. I don't know if you heard the message I did last week. I heard it. I thought it was pretty good for five weeks off. I was a little rusty, but um, uh, I'll give you, uh, let me see how much money I want to give you in the spiritual realm. $2,000 in the spiritual realm. If you can put in the chat what the name of the message was last week. Go ahead. Anybody in the room? Remember? Say it again for the people in the back. Are you working on your words? I know I am. Matter of fact, I was going to post something today. That would have been the old Julian, before the five weeks. And I said, no, my words are to build and bring hope and bring life. And I had restraint. I hope you're proud of me. And so this next message that I want to preach to you today is really something that is also a little bit, uh, was a little bit a part of my five weeks off. And I'm going to read to you 2 Corinthians 13, verses 5 through 10. Honestly, this is going to be a good one. Get ready. This is going to be a good one. If you stop paying attention, start back paying attention right now. This is going to be a good one. Verse 5 says this. Examine yourselves. Examine yourselves. We examine everything other than ourselves sometimes. We examine other people. We examine our circumstances. Examine yourself, the scripture says, to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? I hope you find out that we, this is the writer Paul saying, have not failed the test, but we pray to God that you may not do wrong, not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. Sound like there's some conflict going on here, and Paul's like trying to deal with it. Verse 8 says, for we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason, I write these things while I'm away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in the use of my authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not tearing down. Somebody say, amen. Amen. By the way, authority to pastors is meant to build up, not tear down. And the only time that we should really be submitted to authority, um, especially in the church, is if people are using their authority to build up and not tear down. 
And so it's very important that we have godly and biblical authority in the church where it's designed to build you up. Now, now here is the conflict Paul is facing because you could say, one could say that Paul is the pastor of this church, the church of Corinth. And a couple of chapters earlier, if you read through the first uh, Corinthians, second Corinthians, he's getting ready to make his third trip to the church of Corinth. And he's sending a letter ahead of time so that he can kind of prepare them for what he's getting ready to deal with. So it would kind of be like if, if you were getting ready to confront some behaviors of a friend and you wrote them a letter ahead of time so that they could brace themselves that you were coming to bring correction. Uh, the relationship between Paul and his church um, is falling apart a little bit. And the reason why is, is Paul has preached the gospel. He's preached Jesus. People are saved, but now they're not living the life that salvation says they should live. And so now he's having to bring correction to some behaviors. He, he's starting to talk about another chapter. He's starting to talk about sexuality and giving and tithing and, and all these different things and generosity. And so the church of Corinth is beginning to reject his leadership because he's challenging them. And Paul is not giving in to the pressure of saying what people want him to say. He's saying, even in this verse, that I can't do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. And I don't want to use my authority to tear you down. I'm trying to build you up. And if we're not careful, I believe we can fall in the same circumstances as a church where when somebody tells us something that brings correction... When somebody tells us something that we should do different, we always feel torn down, not built up because we were criticized growing up and no one can tell each other. And I don't know if you know this, but a healthy church is one that can call each other out in love. Yeah. Hey, you're better than that. You're more. And that's why I wanted to you know, make sure last week that I did that verse on, on speaking with this idea that people would, would, would receive grace when we share it because we're getting ready to step into this season where you're going to have to have some relationships where people motivated that you would receive grace when you hear what they have to say, but that people would call you out as friends, as brothers and sisters in Christ, that they would call you out. Let me use another phrase, that people wouldn't call you out, people would call you up, meaning that they're trying to build you up. And a call out is not always a call up. A call out and a call up have two different motivations. When you call someone out, you're calling someone out because you're the one that's frustrated. You're the one that's upset. They hurt your feelings and you want to call it out. When you call somebody up, you've taken your frustrations and your emotions about that thing to God and now you're calling them up. You're saying, I believe in you. I think you're awesome. This could be better. And I believe if you would let me speak into your life about this, then you can grow and you can learn from this. But I'm good. I've taken my anchor to God. I've taken, does that make sense? And I think I want to be a church that calls people up, not calls people out. And, and if you've been calling people out, that's what I was doing. I wasn't calling people up. I was calling people out. I wasn't calling pastors up. I was calling pastors out. I wasn't saying, pastors, we're better than this. We can do this. We can come together. There can be unity. I was calling out the negativity because actually I was mad about it. And God's saying, hey, I want you to use your authority for the building up. When you say something to someone, even if it's corrective, they should end up here. And oftentimes when we want to be right and we want to prove that they're wrong, um, they end up down here and we elevate ourselves. And we have to purify um, everything that we do in order to do this correctly. And I want to challenge you with this. One of the things that will help you with what I'm getting ready to say is, is and I want you to write this down, uh, live like you have something to give, not something to prove. Because when you live like you have something to give, you're generous with your wisdom. You are patient 
with how they respond to the wisdom, and you can be really begin to speak into others' lives. Now, here is the challenge I have for you today, and this is the name of my message. I'm going to preach a message to you called The Final Exam. The Final Exam. I really believe that Paul is, is speaking prophetically, not just to the church of Corinth, but to the church of Oasis, Oasis Church. I think that people can receive um, what we have to say um, when they know that we examine ourselves. Paul begins his letter saying, examine yourselves. When we are open with what we've examined in our own life, especially if you have any type of leadership in your home or any type of leadership in the church, one of the things that I feel that, that releases grace in my life is when I can stand up publicly and tell you that I was wrong about something and that God corrected me about that. And you, as uh, the church that I'm called to pastor, can see that this man is not perfect, but he's using the scripture not just to examine me, but to examine his own life. He's trying to examine his life as a husband. He's trying to examine his life as a pastor and as a leader. And, and the scripture should be used uh, um, patiently with others and rigorous, rigorously with ourselves. I'm going to say that again. Scripture should be used patiently with others and intensely or rigorously with ourselves. And so I always want to make sure that I'm using God's word to examine me, to examine myself. And I think that the church is building up a reputation that we want the world to follow the scriptures when the Bible says that someone who does not have the Holy Spirit cannot follow the spirit of truth. So we want to use the scriptures as an examination into our own lives. Paul said, examine yourselves. Now, why is this important? This is important because one of the things that made these believers so powerful is that many Bible scholars believe that they thought Jesus Christ would come back by the end of the day. They were living their life trying to score well on their final exam. You know, many people um, want us to prove ourselves to them. Many people want us to be what they want us to be. Uh, we want to do things for more followers. If we make music, we can't just make music for the love. We got to make music for the listen. I'm going to say that again. We don't make music anymore for the love. We make it for the listen. We don't make films for the love. We make it for the watch. We don't, we don't preach for the love of God's word and the love of people. We preach to get a crowd. If no one's listening, who cares? And we don't share God's word in intimacy and in spaces and with neighbors and coworkers because it's not a crowd, it doesn't count. And Jesus was always moving away from the crowd. And Jesus would teach you and I that we need to be living our life basically preparing for the final exam. The final exam is judgment day. And can I tell you, we cannot be immature college students who cram on the last day before the test. We have to prepare living our whole lives is preparation for the final exam. And I have come into this revelation about God that I don't have anything to prove to other church leaders. I don't have anything to prove to myself. I don't have anything to prove to you. I love you, but I don't have anything to prove to you. I want to live my life in preparation for the final exam, and everything I do helps me pass the test for that final exam on Judgment Day. And if we don't get that in our spirit, where we don't live for the applause of, of the crowd, and we don't live for the affirmation of our friends, and we don't live for people to celebrate us uh, uh, in the world, and we live so that when God, we get to heaven, God claps. 
That's how I want to live my life. And what I'm encouraging you to do and what Paul is encouraging us to do is the only way that we can pass the final exam is by examining ourselves. And watch this in verse 5. This is, all, this is good, man. This is rich. This ain't like no cheap candy. This ain't no M&M. This is like peanut brittle. This is like C's candy. This is like $19 a box. This ain't... You can't buy this with spare change. Your, your boy is preaching. I'm back. Somebody say he's back. You got to pump up yourself sometimes. Verse 5 says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Am I, have you ever asked yourself that question? Am I in the faith? I'm in something. Am I in the faith? When I talk about finances with my family, am I in the faith? When I get a doctor's report that isn't favorable, am I in the faith? When I have a meeting at church, am I in the faith? When I have a business meeting, am I in the faith? When I do anything, am I in the faith? Am I walking in what I believe? Is what I believe affecting everything I do? Am I literally doing the same task that any Christians would do? But doing it apart from faith? Am I in the faith when I go to church? Am I in the faith when I worship? Am I in the faith when I read my Bible? Am I in the faith? Examine myself to see whether I am in the faith. In the faith. Not do I have it. Am I in the faith? That word in means to literally, not the world revolves around you, right? But faith it's encompassed in faith. You are literally, it's the same word when we say, are you in Christ? Are you in the faith? Meaning everywhere you return, you are surrounded by faith. This is so important because a lot of times we say the enemy's attacking me. We say that a lot. Enemy's attacking me. But the Bible says the shield of faith deflects the fiery darts of the evil one. So if you can feel the attack, you're being attacked in an area that you're not in the faith. Wow. You're attacked in an area where you're struggling with your faith. That's where he attacks you. He attacks you in the area, and we can examine ourselves daily to see, am I in the faith? Am I encompassed, enraptured with faith? And faith in the Greek word means to be divinely persuaded divinely persuaded and it is so important for the church to have faith because the world is struggling right now and what i have found through scriptures as i'm reading through the entire bible while being several chapters behind <laughs> the rest of my friends but what i have found is the biggest problem in all of humanity is humanity and the biggest solution in all of humanity next to Jesus has been humanity. God uses the person to solve the problem. That's the problem with the person. And so God has called the church. Why do you think Jesus is sitting down? Because the church is now filled with the spirit of Jesus. It's on us now. Tag, you're it. And so as we examine ourselves to see whether or not we are in the faith, God can use us to do mighty things. There are so many things that I have done that I haven't been in the faith doing them. I haven't been in the faith doing them. What separates 
our uh, religion, from all other religions, is um, what we believe about Jesus and what we believe about God and that God's a personal God and that God loves us and, and God speaks us. It means to be divinely persuaded. So you cannot have faith if God's not talking to you. You cannot have faith if God doesn't talk to you through his church, through his word, through his presence, through worship. There's so many different ways that God could speak to you. But I believe that all of us are currently being persuaded by something. Do you know that your pain can talk you into something? Some of you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend your pain talked you into. That's why I don't date. I recommend that you don't date during times where you are in pain. Because your pain will persuade you about who to date. Your lack will persuade you. Your past will persuade you. I believe humanity is always being persuaded. So if there is a divinely persuasion, there is a persuasion that is not divine. If there is a Holy Spirit, there is a unholy spirit. The only way that there can even be a divine persuasion is if there's a persuasion that is not divine. What is talking you into something? Fear can talk you into something. Shame can talk you into something. Guilt can talk you into something. And what I'm here to tell you is that if guilt is talking you into something, then don't let guilt talk you into it. Don't let shame talk you into it. Don't let hopelessness talk you into it. Faith is God is talking you into it. And God's voice has got to be louder to you than any other voice. The voice of your friends, the voice of your past, things speak and, and persuade us. And so when we are examining our, ourselves and seeing if we're in the faith, uh, I want to just break that sentence down because the rest of this message is going to be about breaking that sentence down. So let me give it to you even in a way that you can understand even more. Examining yourself to see whether you are in the faith is I'm checking to see where do I get my thoughts and my actions from? Is it from faith? So I'm examining myself. Let's say it comes to finances. Do, is fear talking me into what I give? Is fear talking me into how I save? Because the difference between saving because you want to be wise and saving because you don't feel like you're going to have enough. There's a difference. One saving account brings bondage and another one brings freedom. So I'm not talking about the action. I'm talking about you're examining what is talking you into taking the action? So let's say um, you um, are on a fitness journey. You're on a fitness journey because you feel fat. That's not a good reason to go to the gym. You go to the gym because you feel empowered. You feel envisioned. You feel inspired. You feel loved by God. And now you're going to go be a better steward of the body that God has given you because you know that God wants you to live a long time. It, it comes from a whole different place what is talking you into the things that you are doing? Because sometimes when the, 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 the devil knows that God wants you to do something, he talks you into doing it with something else in your heart that shouldn't be there. Think about this. God said, let us make man in our image. The devil heard God say that. So when he approached Eve, what did he do? He said, eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And she said, I can't do that. God said no. And I'm paraphrasing, of course. And what did the devil say? God just knows that you'll be like him. Eat it and you'll be like him. So he showed up and he persuaded them. So they were try already wanted to be like God, but God wanted to persuade them and they would be like God through faith. The devil said, no, you can be like God through sin. 
It was the same end goal, but the enemy was doing the persuading. What is persuading you? Fear, shame, doubt, doubt, hopelessness, guilt, wanting to be better, comparison. Sometimes comparison will persuade you to be better. Because why? Because you saw someone else and where they're at. One of the things that I believe that God wants you to do is he wants you to be in agreement with what he feels about you and what you're doing. So many times we want something to be better that God likes. I got to learn to be happy with what God's happy with. And that makes sure I'm in the faith. What is talking you into what you are doing? And pick the big areas that are those sources of tension for you and say, what is persuading me? Examine it. What is persuading me? If you're married, do you do what you do because you love your wife or your husband? Or do you do what you do because they're going to complain if you don't? I've done that. I don't do what I do because I love and I want to serve my wife. Sometimes I do what I do because if I don't do it, she's going to get mad and she's going to let me go golfing. And then I want to golf, so let me go clean the dishes. So when I'm out golfing, she sees the dishes are clean. And the dishes have nothing to do with the fact that I'm motivated by loving and serving my wife. I just don't want her to say nothing that I went golfing without doing the dishes. It's not. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm letting my own desires and my own selfishness persuade an act, and the act has nothing to do with love. What is persuading you? That, that examining why do I do what I do? Why do I say what I say? Is it because of my faith or because of my past? This is so important. And I believe there's a lot of things that you're going to have to examine personally. And so I'm kind of throwing some examples out there so then you can examine personally every area of your life and say, hey, what do I do and why do I do it? Examine to see if you're in the faith. Pick a couple of areas if you have a family member or somebody that you love, get together with some friends and start picking areas and say, hey, and matter of fact, we all have blind spots. Why don't you ask a friend, is there any area in my life that you see I'm struggling with my faith? Open the door. They'll probably see it more than you do. And we can start to examine ourselves personally. Now, corporately, um, which means all of us together as a church, I believe that there are core uh, uh, four core areas that we need to examine as a church together to see we're living in the faith. And one of those things is what do we believe about God? We need to examine that. Yeah, we need to examine that, y'all. And the first thing that we need to examine is this. Do we understand that God is holy? God is holy. I read this book uh, that was challenging the thought that the most important thing that we need to know about God is not that God loves us. That's like number two. The number one thing we need to know about God is that God is holy. Because if God is holy, is our number one understanding is God is holy, and our number two is that God loves us. Then when God loves us in a way that we weren't expecting or in a way that feels disappointing, we can fall back on our knowledge that God is holy. I'm going to say that again. If God loves you, you're in a human relationship, right? With God, you're not, that's not a human. God is not a human. And uh, Pastor Arab Bernard taught me this word, anthropomorphize, which means that in order for people to feel loved by God, they try to make him human. They view him in a human way. And as humans, we would never allow our husband or wife, boyfriend or girlfriend, best friend to do something that makes us feel unloved. If it makes us feel unloved, then we are unloved and we ask them to change that behavior. And most of the time, maybe they should. But God is holy, which means that God does not change his behavior because it made you feel a certain way. 
So then if we say God is love and then I pray for someone to live and they die, if I don't understand God is holy, then the death of that person will make me feel unloved. If we pray to get the promotion and we pray for finances and the finances don't come through, if we pray to not get evicted and we get evicted, then we will feel unloved if being loved by God is not preceded by the one truth that God is holy. And I want you to ask yourself, have I understood and I'm examining the holiness of God. Because the holiness of, of God is the sum total of all his perfect character attributes. So then no one can say, I want to be like Jesus or be like God, and holiness is not on the list. Because I think so many times we, we, we talk about, like, you ever hear this phrase where, man, we just, like, just got to be like Jesus. But what we're talking about is going and feeding the homeless but we're talking about like being kind to people, which we should do all those things. But we're not talking about the reason why Jesus did that is he was operating in holiness. The difference between Jesus, if Jesus had an Instagram, he'd probably not not post that he gave food to a homeless person. He would just do it. He, matter of fact, he spent a lot of time telling people not to tell people what he did for them. And they did anyway. He wasn't doing it to be noticed. Everything he did came out of his character that he was holy. What we believe about God is key. So I think these four things that we believe about God almost encompass, and there's a lot to believe about God. So um, if you're in the chat saying, there's other things we need to believe about God. I, I do. I know that. There's a lot to believe about God, but I'm trying to pick four things that I believe will encompass all other things that you believe about God. Number one, God is holy. Number two, God is with you. Number three, God is for you. Number four, God is in you. God is holy, God is with you, God is for you, God is in you. And these four help us, especially number one, help us manage that if God is with me in the trial, then the holiness of God is with me. So it helps me uh, examine myself. If I know God is holy and I know God is with me and I know God is for me, I know that God is in me, then I can examine myself. And I've seen so many people shipwreck their faith by deconstructing their faith in a negative way. And you might have heard that phrase, deconstructing. I have no issue with deconstructing things. I think they should be deconstructed. But a healthy deconstruction is I'm examining myself and my opinions in the light of God's word and in the light of who God is. Um, an unhealthy deconstruction is I'm questioning and examining God's word and God in the light of who I want to be. That's unhealthy deconstruction. So a healthy deconstruction is I'm not examining the word, meaning that I'm not, uh, ex- I'm not questioning the Bible in the light of my opinions. I'm questioning my opinions in the light of God's word. You see the difference? So that's great deconstruction. Um, and if God is holy, then God's going to ask you to do some things that don't makes sense because he's holy. And only when you get to heaven on your final exam will you understand why God asked you to do that. And so when someone is holy and someone has proven their character and somebody's proven their goodness, that means they have the right to ask us to do things we don't understand. That's what that means. And so when you believe these four things about God and you examine these four things about God, I believe you can do something special and be used by God in a special way. The second thing that I believe we need to examine is what do we believe about Jesus and the cross? I think so many times when they try to describe Jesus, we don't describe Jesus in his character. 
We don't describe Jesus the right way. It's like he's this really nice man that just did nice things, and he was those things. But look what Hebrews 7, 26 says. He says he's the kind of high priest we need. Why do we need him? And notice it doesn't bring up love. And I'm not downplaying love. But everyone who is the way that we're about to read about Jesus would be overwhelmingly loving. I'm going to say that again. It says we have the kind of high priest we need. Not we want, we need. Because he is holy, blameless, and unstained by sin. I'm going to say that again. Holy, blameless, and unstained by sin. The reason why Jesus' love was so powerful is because he was holy, blameless, and unstained by sin. Have you ever met a person who's living a life of sin? They're really not very good at loving people because they're living for themselves. When you live for God and you're trying to live a holy life and you're not perfect, you're just better at love when you're unstained. That word means uncontaminated. We are contaminated by the things of the world and worldly desires, and it affects our ability to be able to love people. Jesus was loving because he was uncontaminated by sin. And so that's why he was so good at it. And when I'm contaminated by sin, I just get bad at love. When I'm contaminated by my own selfishness and desires. And so what we believe about Jesus, and I'm going to put this on the end, what we believe about the cross. We don't preach the cross enough in church. The cross has power. Paul said that he didn't want to speak with persuasive words, and he wasn't worried about if, if he had a point and a thought and, and, a, and, a, and a good story and some humor. He says, I'm afraid of preaching that way for fear that the cross would lose its power. The cross of Jesus Christ is powerful. When Abraham walked up with his son, the father of our faith in Genesis chapter 22, and God asked Abraham, who started the faith that you and I get to live in today, God asked Abraham to walk up Mount Moriah and be willing to sacrifice his one and only son, Isaac. The Bible says that Abraham the father carried the knife and Isaac the son carried the wood. So Abraham carried the instrument of death, uh, the knife, and Isaac carried the wood and they walked up Mount Moriah. Many Bible scholars believe that is the exact same mountain that Jesus walked up with his wood, just like Isaac. And God the father was sacrificing his one and only son for the sins of humanity on the cross. But this time, a sacrifice did not show up in the bush. Jesus really died. And the Bible says, Jesus said, God, why have you forsaken me? Because God had promised that he would never forsake you and I. And so in that moment, Jesus was forsaken and he went to the grave, but he did not go to the grave alone. And I'm not talking about he went to the grave with people. He didn't go to the grave alone. He went to the grave with your sins. He went to the grave with my sins and buried with him was every mistake and every sin that you would ever make. And because of that cross, the Bible says you and I can have relationship with God and with each other and we can live the lives we were always meant to live. But it didn't stop there. Not only that, but the power of the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. The cross had no effect on him, but it has effect on us. We've been washed clean with the blood of Jesus and now you and I can live a resurrected life by the power of the Holy Spirit because the Bible says the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and me. We got to have the cross and what Jesus did at the forefront of our mind and examine ourselves. Am I living like Christ died for me? 
young people put so much pressure on themselves. They overturn the work of the cross and start putting in the work. Every time I meet, and when I mean a young person, I mean, like, it's just anybody under 40. Because I'm not too far off. Just so much pressure. Like, Jesus didn't die. So much pressure to be right and be perfect. And I get there's a place for that. But, like, do you know that God said that you were worth dying for just as you are now? Like, some of it, I'm worth dying for. I'm worth a perfect, blameless, holy, unstained by sin God said, I'll die for you. Like, the Bible says any person would die for a good person. But it's not that he died. It's who he died for and the condition we were in when he made that choice. He didn't go, oh, you're really cool. I'll die for you. He's like, no, the world is not believing me and they don't obey me. And I'm, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to die for you and me. What we believe about the cross changes everything we pursue in this life. The writer of Galatians, Paul, in Galatians 6, 14, is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Paul says, as for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. You know, if you want to make sure that you don't um, be bothered by the wrong people, if you want to make sure that uh, the wrong people, uh, if you're single, you don't date the wrong person, um, on your first date, talk about the cross. The <laughs> Bible says the world, any worldly man or worldly girl will lose interest. Yeah, just the cross of Jesus. Yes. Or you're on a plane, and you're flying on a plane, and like that person just like wants to talk to you the whole flight. I'm just like, yeah, you don't understand the cross. <laughs> They'll definitely lose interest. I'm just saying like we don't have to worry about making choices, the right choices so much. If we would get the cross in our heart, the Bible says the wrong things of the world will lose interest in us and the right things will come to us. Like, if we just have the cross and we don't worry or brag about anything other than what Christ has done for us, the Bible says that has a way of, world, of, of making us be able to avoid worldly things and bringing in godly things, things that come from God, into our lives. How powerful is that? We got to examine, we have to examine uh, what we believe about Jesus and, and the cross. And obviously, I'm not going to help you do that in just one sermon, but... I think it's something that I've been thinking of. What do I believe about Jesus? Uh, the other thing is, what do you believe about God's word? Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And if you feel stuck, man, get in God's word. One of the things about being in the dark, your word is a lamp to my feet. One of the things about being in the dark is that every human naturally walks slow when it's pitch black. You ever come in your house and you, you find a light? Nobody went, walks in their own house a million miles an hour with all the lights off. You just tend to walk a little bit slower, and then when the lights come on, you can speed up. What if God is slowing you down because you're walking in darkness, and it's a safety measure? Why is that thing moving so slow? The word is a lamp to my feet. If the lamp isn't on, then why would I, why would I speed you up? People who walk in the dark get hurt. People who run in the dark get really hurt, right? And so in the world, is a dangerous place, right? Uh, I am an um, uh, avid golfer, as you know. And there's this one course in Burbank uh, where about three months ago, I hit a pretty expensive golf ball in the wilderness. And so I'm going to save this $3 golf ball, and I go into the wilderness, and there is a rattlesnake in the bush where my golf ball was. And I went to reach with my hand, and it didn't rattle, but it moved. 
Now, many people get bit by rattlesnakes, just a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of, I watch Animal Planet, so I'm an animal expert, but some of the, most of the time people get bit because they don't rattle. People always think they're going to warn you. Sometimes they don't because they don't realize you're there or they don't, they just don't rattle and they, they bite instead of warn you um, because they mistake you for some type of other animal. And so if it is a rabbit it's trying to kill, it's not going to rattle. So it, you might think your hand's a rabbit and it bites you. So that's, I know this. And so when I saw it, um, I never looked for another golf ball again <laughs> because um, I saw one rattlesnake and that was the end of that. And I think what happens in the world is that I didn't see the snake because it was in the shadows. It was like after sunrise. If it was bright outside, I would have seen it. But I didn't see it, and I got myself almost in danger because I couldn't see. This is what not reading the word almost adds to your life in everything you do. If you don't have the lamp to your feet, everything you're doing is dangerous. Can I just say that to you? If you don't have a lamp to your feet, you're a dangerous husband. If you don't have a lamp to your feet, you're a dangerous wife. If you don't have a lamp to your feet, you're a dangerous pastor. If you don't have a lamp to your feet, you're a dangerous businessman. You are a danger to yourself and others if you don't have a lamp to your feet. You're going to get hurt. And in a dark room one time, was at a party, and everybody got hurt in a dark party because there was a shooting that broke out, and everybody was running over each other because it was dark and we couldn't see. So then people injured others. So if you're responsible for other people and you don't have a lamp to your feet, you're going to hurt somebody, wow. starting with yourself. What do we believe about God's word? 2 Timothy verse 3, 16 through 17 says, All scripture, come on, somebody say all scripture, all scripture. is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It helps us examine ourselves, helps prepare us for the final exam. But if you keep going, it says this, it corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it, scripture to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Are you believing that God is going to use you to do something awesome in, 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 in the world or in the church or wherever you're called to be? Then God uses his word to prepare you for that. Underprepared people believing for a promise is not going to happen. God says, I got to prepare you for that. And I use my word to do it. The final thing, this is going great. I'm over time, but other than that, this went great. It's just amazing. We need to examine what we believe about the church, God's people. Ooh, this is a tough one. Because don't church people drive you crazy sometimes? Like church people. Church hurt. I'm hurt by the church. The church did this. The church did that. Well, do you know that if you believe in Jesus, you are the church? So when you focus too much on attacking the church like I've fallen into doing, that's as wild as you getting upset with your own body. Wow, come on. Like, you can be frustrated. Like, say my arm won't move. It's like, dang, man. Like, I hurt my arm, man. It won't move. But if you're like, I can't believe you. You're unbelievable. This arm is amazing. This arm, you, you're like, what is wrong with you? You're yelling at your own body? You're angry at your own body? There can be some frustration there, but the Bible says we are the body of Christ. Christ is the head. The church is the body. And you have certain parts of your body that you don't like. Um, I happen to love my biceps. <laughs> haven't always, haven't always uh, felt that way about my biceps. Um, 
to be honest, just being transparent, um, grew out my mustache, don't like it. <laughs> it's uh, thin in some places and growing in some other places, and it's just not great. But I decided I was going to grow a mustache, and I'm being stubborn. And I promise you somebody online is saying, what's with the mustache? Like, I wish I was like these guys that just grow these amazing beards. But like my facial hair just, it looks like, like this is like, like taco meat. It's just <laughs> like, it's just not good. And I don't like that about myself. But I'm not going to be in the mirror yelling at my mustache and being frustrated with my mustache. And I do think that if your arm... Uh, was sore and was bothering you, you you wouldn't cut it off. But that's not the way it works. You would do whatever it was in your power to bring healing to that arm. And so the motivation, um, the motivation is to bring healing. And what I believe, and I'm going to be a little graphic, is that many people amputate themselves from the body of Christ as a solution to a sore arm or an arm that's bringing them pain. In medical field, amputation is the last resort. If they don't amputate you, to amputate it, it's going to kill you because it's infected. And so there are certain things you absolutely need to amputate. Like it's, it'll kill you, but not offense. We got to go see everybody. Have you done everything in your power to heal your relationship with the church? What we believe about the church is important. 1 Corinthians 12 Verse 13 says this, some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some of us are slaves, and some of us are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. We're one body and one spirit. This means this, that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is empowered the most to help partner with you, to bring all the blessing you're believing for when the Holy Spirit doesn't have to jump from believer to believer to believer because they're all divided. He's literally empowered. When we walk in unity as one body and we're willing to do whatever it takes to get that arm healed, we're not going to amputate it. We do whatever it takes to bring healing. We, we confess our sins to each other. We admit when we're wrong. We have conversations where we listen. Now the Holy Spirit is empowered to operate through one body instead of jumping around from person to person because we can't figure out how to be together as one. What you believe about the church God, people are leaving the church. People aren't coming back to church. And I'm okay with that because I need to be, but the Holy Spirit is not. Right. And I'm telling you right now that you have to examine how you feel about the church. And I didn't want to bring this up because there was too many people out there talking about church is essential, church is essential, church is essential. Yeah, it is. But I'm not talking about coming to church. I'm talking about being the church. I'm not talking about we come to church. I'm talking about become the church. That's what I'm talking about. And so what I'm saying, you have an active role in the church. God has given you a gift in the church, and God's going to use what he's doing in the church to manifest himself in the world. You know that verse, Ephesians 3.20, and this is, I feel like preaching. Don't let me start preaching when I'm seven minutes over. Ephesians 3.20. Ephesians 3.20. Now God is able to do more than you can ask, imagine, or think. Have you heard that verse? Can I ask you a question? Is God doing more than what you've asked for, than what you're imagining, and what you've thought about? Is God doing more? Because if God's not doing more, we might have to address what we believe about one thing. Ephesians chapter 1, it opens up with this simple phrase where Paul is writing a letter, and it says, to the church in Ephesus. And then by the time you get to chapter 3, where it says, now God is able 
to do more than you can ask, imagine, or think, don't forget that that letter was written to the church, not to individual believers, to the church. And if you're not a part of the church, you're reading someone else's mail. And in America, that's a felony. I wonder what it is in the kingdom. Oh, I feel like preaching. Did you hear what I just said? I said in America, come on, somebody. It is illegal to read somebody else's mail. I wonder if it's illegal to read somebody else's mail in the kingdom. Do you know how many promises that are in the New Testament that if you're not a part of the church, you're reading somebody else's mail? It says to the people in the church. And then in Ephesians 3.20, it says now to him who is able to do more than you can ask, imagine, or think. It goes on to say, according to the power that is at work in you, now glory be to the church. He's trying to bring glory through the church into the world. And so if you're not a part of the church, you miss the glory. And now God is not empowered to do more. He has to do less until you get to be a part of the body of Christ. What do you believe about the church? I feel like preaching. Y'all better, y'all better come get me. Y'all better come get me. What do you believe about the church? God's trying to correct that. And, and here's the thing. Can I just, can I just pass to you? I know the church is terrible. Like church leaders have been terrible. Church people have been terrible. We're, we're not, we're on a bad run right now. You know what I mean? Like, but we got to fix this because the enemy did that on purpose. But the Bible says, let there be no divisions among you because God knows. Cheesy church phrase. We're better together. (laughs) Oh, this is good stuff. Can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? Father, I thank you so much for what you are doing at Oasis Church that's going to go to other places and other spaces. Father, we got to examine ourselves. We have to live our lives like there is a final, final exam coming because there is. And so all of this is, is practice and preparation for that final exam where we want to hear from you, well done, good and faithful servants. And so, Father, would you open up the areas that we need to examine? Because I believe, God, you have called me specifically to prepare people for all that you have for them. So God, continue to, to, to build their faith. Examine what areas are, are they're being persuaded by fear or persuaded by doubt or persuaded by shame or guilt or comparison and, and change that persuasion to, to divine persuasion of faith. God's been speaking to me. I've been in his word. I've been in his presence. I've been worshiping him. And this is what I'm gonna do. And as we examine ourselves, God, we're gonna be a community that can help speak life to each other and gently and humbly bring correction not because we're irritated or frustrated, but because we're calling them up, not out. And so, Father, help us be that community. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. This was pretty good. I'm not going to lie. This was pretty good. And uh, I feel good about it. I hope you do. Come back next week. I'm preaching again. Week three. Let's go, baby. Love you so much. I'll see you soon.